You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Weekly Web Foot Review. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. The podcast that keeps you fresh with the latest happenings in the world of Oregon Ducks athletics. Oregon remains an extremely powerful national brand. Freddie and Luke and all the guys going back. Aaron, they've all had a big, big part of this. Now, here's your host. Our guys have done well in our approach, which is win the day. Jordan Schultz. Welcome in to episode 14 of the Weekly Web Foot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. So excited. We've got a lot of content to get out to you Duck fans before the start of the college football season, at least for the Ducks. Week 0 already happening. Arizona at the Pac-12 not getting off to a great start. Arizona giving it up uh, over in Hawaii uh, during Week 0, so the Pac-12 officially 0-1. And a lot of news coming out from the just the general world of sports as well. I'm not sure I've really brought up sports news other than Oregon Ducks news much on this podcast, but I got to give a shout out. Uh, former Pac-12 quarterback Andrew Luck announced his retirement in a shocking announcement last weekend. Uh, took a nap, woke up, and Andrew Luck has decided that he will no longer be playing for the Indianapolis Colts in the NFL. Just too many injuries that he's had to deal with. So if you wanted to hit me up on Twitter on the air Jordan with an O uh, give your ideas for the show or your take on what happened with Andrew Luck why he's leaving the league early or any thoughts on the Ducks opener coming up against Auburn that is right they have actually named their starting quarterback freshman Bo Nix is going to be starting for the Auburn Tigers and a big task for him facing the Oregon Ducks in his first ever college football game the Ducks coming in ranked number 11 Auburn ranked number 16 it is going to be a huge matchup on August 31st in Dallas for the AdvoCare Classic. I've been promising it all summer, though. We have been previewing all of Oregon's Pac-12 opponents, and we're about halfway through at Matthew Zimmer, one of my colleagues from Alpha Media, in for the last episode. Coming up, though, for this episode, pretty cool. We're going to break down USC and Arizona. You heard uh, Arizona already losing uh, to start the year, but Michael Lev from the Arizona Daily Star had some thoughts about uh, that team and how good they are going to be coming back with Khalil Tate. Joining us now on the weekly Webfoot Review to talk USC, he covers the Trojans for the website uscfootball.com, also owns it as well. It's Ryan Abraham. Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. How are you? I'm doing all right. I can't believe we got college football in just a couple of days in the Pac-12, and then, of course, everyone else playing a week from then. So it's pretty exciting. Isn't that really cool? Uh, Arizona opening up on the road in Hawaii, basically a week before everyone else. I thought that was great. Yeah. That and that, you have the Miami, Florida game. Um, my wife's a big SEC Tennessee fan. And she was like, she didn't even know that was going on. So yeah, you got some week zero action, which is, I think it's great to get a little taste and then, uh, you know, we'll get the full meal the following week. Yeah. And for some reason this season, the week zero action seems a lot more impactful, you know, rather than just central Florida starting out the season or whatever. 
All right. So uh, to start uh, to start our conversation, I got to kick it off with Clay Helton. Uh, he's been a pretty decent head coach for USC, at least a couple of the seasons he's been with them, uh, taking them both to a Cotton Bowl, a Rose Bowl, but went five and seven last season. So he comes into this year on the hot seat. What, in your opinion, Ryan, does Clay Helton have to do to keep his job for 2020? Yeah, it's funny. The season's opening up, and that's the number one question out there. I mean, the first question you asked, but most questions, most people are asking that kind of question, especially USC fans. They want to know. He he has had some success, you know, winning a Rose Bowl in exciting fashion. You know, he won the Pac-12 a couple years back. But there have been some games where it just looked terrible. Uh, in that Cotton Bowl you mentioned, they just get smoked by Ohio State that same year they won the Pac-12. Uh, they didn't look even competitive against Notre Dame. And then last year, everything falls apart, and they go 5-7. and seven. So I feel like – I don't know if he's going to have to win the Pac-12. Uh, I think winning the Pac-12 South is probably the minimum. And, you know, it could be like an 8-4 and four season when you do that. But if you lose to maybe a BYU on the road or don't look that good in some of these games, it still might not be enough. But I, there's so much change going on at USC. They just hired a new – president there's a lot of speculation from the national media that lynn swan the athletic director will be out and yeah. he's basically backed clay helton if he's out um and i think all bets are off there too so it, i would think at a bare minimum though you got to win the pac-12 south if they don't do that and utah's a favorite to win the whole pac-12 so it's not going to be easy uh, i just think that he's that hot seat couldn't get any hotter and now a quick switch to focus on what uh, he needs to do to keep his job. Uh, what do you think is best case scenario? What are the coaches shooting for as uh, maybe their best case goal uh, for this season at USC? You know, they haven't really talked about it much, but I, I, you know, if you look at this team, it's still talent, probably still the most talented team in the PAC 12, you yeah. know, and if uh, the, the new offense comes in and works the way they think it's going to work, um, I think they can go from like the number 90, scoring team in the country where they were tied with Oregon state, like 26 points a game, easily score 10 points more per game, which would put them in the top 25, top 20. Uh, I think you're going to win a bunch of games right there, but they've changed some of the culture stuff too. I don't think Clay Hilton made wholesale changes, but he made enough where I have a new strength and conditioning coach. And I think the players have at least bought in to that. And I, but the big question is going to be, you know, the offense, the offensive line. I think the passing game is going to be there if they can, you know, get the ball moving a little bit on the ground with the offensive line the way it is, uh, I think they, you know, there's a pretty high ceiling. I mean, a double-digit win from five games to like ten, I don't think it's out of the question. Um, it's a really tough schedule, but there's, I think there's a pretty big swing. They could go five and seven again or win ten games. I'm just, it's, it work, you know, it's probably going to be somewhere in between, but I think <laughs> the ceiling's probably like a ten-game season. We're talking with Ryan Abraham, covers the Trojans for uscfootball.com. I want to move on to the quarterbacks. Uh, quite a battle going on in fall camp. Uh, JT Daniels, one of them, the, he has been one of the flashier quarterbacks in the Pac-12 up to this point, but really challenges coming in. Uh, the, the competition, a whole new offensive scheme under new offensive coordinator Graham Harrell, and is is he adjusting well to that uh, after recently being announced as the winner of the quarterback competition? Is he adjusting well? And what kind of year can fans expect to see from him? Yeah, I think he's adjusting all right. He said, you know, he enjoyed the competition. He felt it was a real uh, competition. And, you know, when Clay Houghton named him, I think they needed to do that as early as they did just to give him a lot of opportunities to work with these, it's a really good group of wide receivers, probably the best in the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like he needed more of an opportunity last year. He didn't get that. They didn't name him till the end. And, uh, you know, even some of the starting receivers were like, yeah, we didn't get to work with him that much. So 
I think they wanted to avoid uh, that. And, you know, you look at his numbers last year, it's similar to what Matt Barkley did when he started as a true freshman. But now college offenses are different. They're more advanced. You should have better numbers than what you saw there. But I feel like the offensive scheme was really holding him back. Now, in a, you know, in a much more competent offensive scheme, they're going to be scheming guys open instead of just throwing up uh, balls in the double coverage and hoping someone makes a catch. It really should be, you know, seeing receivers run the grass, just find the open guy. And if he can do that, I think his numbers are going to get a lot better. So I feel like he's going to take a big step forward uh, this year and show everyone, hey, you know, I was a five-star quarterback. I came out with Trevor Lawrence, and I actually, you know, he actually looked better than Trevor Lawrence at the Army All-American Bowl. And obviously, Trevor Lawrence had much more success last year, but yeah. there's still that potential there for JT Daniels. Well, he's such a flashy guy, and he's really got that big game potential and that big play potential, which I think a lot of uh, NFL head coaches are waiting to see what he can do with that as well. Uh, so talking about the schemes uh, that you were mentioning, uh, USC seeming to use a lot of different guys at running back last year. So this season, is there someone that will be the number one choice, or, or are they going to stick with the plan of basically running back by committee? Yeah, it's probably going to be more by committee. It depends on who's healthy. Uh, they all bring a little something different to the table. I think that you got to watch Stephen Carr, number seven, who had a back injury, had surgery, and he just hasn't looked like he did two years ago as a true freshman. But he's got some of that flashback, some of that burst. And it, you, when you're going to dump it off to him in this offense, where if they don't see someone open quick, you're just kind of swing it out to a running back. Uh, he can really make some people miss and be a nightmare. So that, that could turn into a big play. So he's someone to watch. But Vi Malte is kind of like a do-it-all guy. He's been banged up a lot of fall camp, but came back this uh, this past week. So I think you're going to see some good things from him. And Marquis Stepp is sort of like the – he was a freshman last year, uh, got the red shirt, 235 pounds, but he's still got breakaway speed. And uh, it, they, they talk about not having running backs that look like that in this kind of air raid system – and they haven't really – the coaching staff that uh, that came over from North Texas with Graham Harrell and Mike Jenks haven't had a guy like that. And they're like, he's really good. So having someone like the big back that can you know bring something different to the table, I think they're going to probably use all those guys. But if someone kind of just emerges and he's doing better in the system, maybe they'll run with him more. But I, I think going into the season, they'll probably do more of a committee thing as opposed to he's our guy, he's the number one tailback. We're talking to Ryan Abraham on the weekly Webfoot Review. He covers USC for uscfootball.com, also owns this side as well. Flipping to the defense, uh, the Trojans losing quite a few starters. Because of that, it seemed uh, they were super thin in the secondary. At least I was reading that uh, coming into spring football earlier this year. Has the team gotten uh, to plug those holes in fall camp? And what would the defense look like to start the year? Yeah, I think the secondary is the biggest question on the defensive side of the ball. They had a lot of the guys that came back that were veterans. I mean, some of them are sophomores, like they're not super veterans, but a lot of them were coming off injuries. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. cornerback uh, Elijah uh, Griffin, he had a couple of shoulder surgeries. Uh, Talanoa Hufunga, who's five star from Corvallis, he uh, he came in with two broken clavicles, so and he ended up having surgery uh, after spring football. So there's some guys that were banged up and they weren't all that experienced to begin with. Uh, but those guys are all back. And I think they it makes a pretty good core of the first team out there for USC, but most of the depth behind them are true freshmen that were coming in that we didn't get to see in the spring. So I think body wise, there's enough scholarship players there in the secondary. They're going to be fine. There's just such a lack of experience and we got to see them 
really in action uh, last Saturday for their fall showcase, the last practice we ever got to watch because they've closed it out to the media now. But mm-hmm. man, it was a receiver's day all day long, and the, the, the safeties and the corners just had a rough time covering those guys. So I still think, I think body-wise they're fine, but are they going to be able to put it together and stop, you know, Justin Herbert and the Ducks or any, any of the powerful offenses in the Pac-12? Just hard to say right now. But that's, if you, I think the front seven's pretty strong. The secondary right now, while there's some talented guys, it's just I'm not sure they put it all together yet. All right, now, Ryan, I want to switch gears a little bit. Just a couple more questions before we go. Uh, a little bit of an Oregon-USC preview. I think the Ducks can win out in the Pac-12, but only only if they show up ready to play on the road near the end of the season against USC November 2nd. They got Arizona and Arizona State as well. Uh, do you view this Oregon-USC matchup as a trap game for the Ducks, or is it more of a game that could go either way depending on how they play? Yeah, I mean, I think I want to see how Oregon's offense develops. This, I mean, you got Herbert coming back, so yeah. there's a lot uh, you, know, you can build with. Uh, and for USC, their first part of the schedule is so – it's interesting. They're not even talking all that much about Oregon, which normally you would, because their first six games are so difficult, and they got road games against you know, BYU and Washington and Notre Dame to, like, the Pac-12 champion you're playing on the road. Uh, playoff content, you know, playoff you know, participant from last year you're playing on the road. They have to get through those first six games. Then you look at their back six, that Oregon one is the one that shines. It stands out. It's like a – it's just the sore thumb you're looking at all the time. But <laughs> yeah. The first six are so weird, uh, just so hard. It's just hard to even kind of focus on that. But I, I feel like because USC is a talented team, no matter what, I mean, they might not even, Clay Hill might not even be the head coach by the time the game rolls around. But <laughs> I think going on the road, you know, who knows? Like, yeah. But for Oregon, I, it, I think you're going to look at it as a trap game because they're one of the favorites in the Pac-12 and USC is not. Um, but you're going to go on the road and play a really talented team. And you just don't know what position they'll be in at that point. But I think they'll have the potential to, even if Oregon's playing really well, they'd have that potential to knock them off. So, yeah, I think it could be considered a trap game. It's just one of those things that I don't think either team can like look that as far ahead on the schedule. I got gotcha. you. I agree. All right, Ryan, one last question. In your opinion, who is going to win the Pac-12 for 2019? So I put in the media poll, I picked Washington. Um, I, you know, I know Oregon's, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of, you know, hype and everything about it. I've seen that covering USC. You get, you get a lot of hype. I think there's, it's not hype. I think it's real. I think, I think Oregon's going to be really good, but until someone knocks off, you know, Chris Peterson and the, and, and the dogs, it's, I'm going to, it's hard for me to pick against them. I, I was shocked that people picked or Utah to win the whole thing, but um, that was I, think, a little odd, I, yeah. I think you got to, yeah, they can win the South again, but I think it's still Washington's to lose. Um, I feel like they could be a playoff team this year, even you know replacing uh, Jake Browning. Some people think they're going to get better uh, replacing him with some of his limitations as a quarterback. But would be shocked if uh, if the Ducks won the North and won the whole thing. But I I picked Washington. I'm going to stick with that one for now. All right, Ryan. Thank you so much for taking the time to drop some knowledge on the weekly Webfoot review. I, I, I this is really true. I hope USC wins every game this year except against the Ducks. <laughs> I think USC fans would take that too. Yeah, oh, I agree. I'm all about Pac-12 success, baby. I just I want all I want this entire conference to be lifted as high as they can go. So, yeah. All right, gotta well, get some lift there. Yeah. So it starts with Oregon going on the road and beating Auburn. If they do that, that's good for the entire Pac-12. Yeah, I am so stoked for that season opener. All right, wave at him as he goes. That's Ryan Abraham. He covers the Trojans for the website uscfootball.com. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Michael Lev. He covers Arizona football and baseball for the Arizona Daily Star. Going to be dropping some Wildcats knowledge on the weekly Webfoot Review 
Coming up next, Jordan Schultz sitting in with you for SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Joining us now on the weekly Webfoot Review, he covers Arizona football and baseball for the Daily Star. It's Michael Lev. Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and drop some knowledge. How are you? My pleasure. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm really good. I am so excited for the start of football, although you've probably got to be a lot more excited than I am because... Arizona, they got a fun start to the season, uh, kicking off in a really cool way in Hawaii, um, getting ready to face the Rainbow Warriors about a week earlier than everyone else plays, which I think is extra cool. So, I mean, have you been excited watching that, kind of getting players ready or geared up to start that trip? Yeah, it's been different. Um, they started training camp you know, two days after Pac-12 Media Day. Wow. Which was, which was weird, but there was really no choice because the season started a week earlier than almost everybody is, is starting about a week earlier than almost everybody else. Um, the nice part about it, um, you know, for me personally, as well as the team, is they have a bye the following week. And, you know, everyone has two buys this week or this season, and they have three buys. <laughs> they chose to not add, you know, the 13th game you're allowed to add. Um, an extra game if you have a road game at Hawaii. So it gives them like, these sort of natural breaks within the season to kind of take a step back, you know, assess where they are, you know, really look at the roster. Um, and they play twice, and then they have another bye week before starting Pac-12 play against UCLA. They can do the same thing um, at that juncture. So it's a different kind of uh, setup to the season. But as Kevin Selman has said, it's much it's much preferred to what they had last year when they played 10 straight weeks before they got their first bye. Oh, man. No time for the players or coaches to breathe. you got to get a little respite even during the season. And uh, you speak of those bye weeks, uh, the Wildca- Wildcats and Ducks actually both coming off a bye week when they match up November 16th. Um, is that a game that Arizona, because of that extra preparation, you see them as having a decent chance of winning? Well, there's a weird history, as I'm sure you know, of <laughs> yeah. Arizona doing really well against you know, higher-ranked Oregon teams, even up in Eugene. Um, I don't know if there's any sort of logical um, explanation for why that's been the case, um, but for whatever reason, you know, that matchup sometimes has gone the way of the underdog. We saw it last year in Tucson. I mean, that was you know, by far or, um, Arizona's most impressive performance of the season. I mean, they dominated a team that, you know, supposedly had, you know, possible number one pick in the draft, was ranked, you know, all those things. Um, I feel like it's a much more difficult assignment um, up in Eugene, especially that late in the season. It's going to be cold. It's going to be loud. Um, and I think a lot will depend on, you know, what's at stake for Arizona at that point. You know, are they in the, are they in the mix for a bowl game? You know, um, are they going to be kind of looking ahead to you know, Arizona State at the end of the season, something that has kind of uh, befallen them in the past when they've got maybe that, that late you know, road trip to Oregon or Oregon State or Washington State yeah. where you know, they're not totally focused on that week and they're thinking about the, the territorial cup game. So you know, it's a long way away. Um, I just know that you know, in the past, as mentioned, there have been some weird outcomes in that particular matchup. Oh, yeah, I believe uh, the 2013-2014 matchups. I mean, Rich Rod led a, a very good Arizona team over a very good Oregon team each time. I think, what was the one blowout, like 42-10 to 10 or 16 or something like that in 2013? It was just crazy. 
And I will never forget that game as a hardcore Duck fan, Michael, let me tell you. We're talking to Michael Lev from the Arizona Daily Star. I wanted to ask you about Kevin Sumlin, second-year head coach. Um, his name was being tossed around at points in connection with the Oregon job after the Willie Taggart debacle, but I really think he ended up somewhere that fits uh, in Arizona. What's your sense of the direction of that program under Sumlin so far? Well, obviously, year one was pretty disappointing for all parties, whether yeah. you're within the pro- inside the program or outside the program. Everyone thought when he came here that it would just be this perfect marriage, you know, that the guy who coached Johnny Manziel would now be coaching Toledo Tate, and they would just, you know, roll through the Pac-12, maybe even win the division. Um, none of that happened for a variety of reasons. Um, one of them was that Khalil Tate got hurt last year. He also had, you know, some difficulties, uh, adjusting to a new system. Um, there were some holes on the roster, uh, left by the previous regime that were, it was impossible to repair those holes in one year. I think they've done a better job of addressing some of those spots heading into this year, you know, in particular, the offensive and defensive lines, which, as you know, I mean, that's where it all starts in football. Oh, yeah. No matter where you coach or no matter what level you play. Um, so, you know, expectations are lower heading into year two. Um, but I think that they're okay with that. Um, I think they would prefer to kind of be under the radar, not have as much hype um, as they had heading into last season. Then again, you know, if Khalil Tate goes out and like rushes for 150 yards and passes for 250 <laughs> on Saturday night at Hawaii, I think the hype train is going to get rolling again, um, and and it'll be sort of a different feel when they re- when they return to the mainland than than kind of what we're talking about right now. Yeah, and you speak to Khalil Tate. I, I mean, such a stud. Arizona actually led the entire Pac-12 last year in offense. If people forgot, uh-huh. they were such uh-huh. a high-flying offense. Um, even with Khalil Tate uh, on his bum ankle injured throughout the year. So he seemed to be limited at times, but then Arizona still marching on offense last year, even with him in the pocket. So I guess two questions for you. Is Khalil Tate healthy this year? And what is his ceiling when he is healthy? He is healthy at the moment. Okay. Um, obviously he hasn't taken a hit. <laughs> you know, the quarterbacks don't get hit during practice. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not the same thing as, as playing in games. Um, all the reports that we're hearing from practice are that he looks, you know, really fast, like like the 2017 uh, version of Tate, who was so dominant for that for that stretch, especially in October. Um, so that that's one part of it. I mean, another part of it is, you know, how willing is he going to be to run the ball? I mean, he was very hesitant a year ago. I think part of it was, you know, the ankle injury. Part of it was sort of the psychological effect of being hurt. And I think part of it too was, you know, I think he had it in his head that he, you know, I need to develop more as a pocket passer and show that I can do that if I'm going to be a quarterback in the NFL. And I think he kind of forgot what his identity was as a quarterback, you know, as a pocket passer, I mean, he's fine. He's somewhere I'd say above average to good. But if you add the running element to it, he has the potential to be great. So, I mean, I think the ceiling is, you know, if, if everything clicked and he was healthy the whole season and he was willing and able to run, I mean, you're talking about someone who could get a trip to New York. Uh, it's, it's hard to get into that final, you know, 
three or five for the Heisman Trophy if you don't win you know, 10, 11 games. That might be a stretch for this Arizona team, even if Khalil Tate is at his best. But if you're asking about what the ceiling is, I think it's very high. I agree with you. We're talking with Michael Lev. He covers Arizona football and baseball for the Arizona Daily Star. Now, he had it quite easy last year, those weapons at wide receiver, Poindexter, Ellison Brown. I mean, those guys are so fun to watch. Uh, Unfortunately, gone this season. Are there guys ready to replace them, or is it just going to be kind of a year uh, where guys are trying to get into the flow with Khalil Tate? Yeah, yeah, they obviously lost a lot of experience and production um, when those guys left. And they really only have one uh, returning wide receiver who's had any substantial playing time, and that's Cedric Peterson, who's never been in a featured role. Um, I think he's uh, you know, going to be a lot more productive this year, a lot more involved in the passing game. Um, he just didn't have those opportunities before. He'll be kind of their their third down guy, um, you know, their 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 guy to go to uh, in a tense situation um, where they need someone they can count on to catch a ball in traffic or you know, run the right depth uh, of his route to make sure that he gets the first down. Otherwise, you're talking about a lot of new guys um, who you know, don't have as much experience, but I think that the group overall has more talent than the previous group and has more upside. It's just a matter of when that's going to happen. Um, a name for everyone to, up there to keep an eye on is Jamari Joyner who came to Arizona as a quarterback, a local kid from Tucson. Some people had him as a four-star prospect. Most people had him as a three. Kind of got you know, caught up in the numbers game um, in the quarterback room, as happens. You know, only one guy can play at a time. And he decided this summer that he would switch to wide receiver, and he's been a revelation. Um, he's you know, going to be, if not the starting slot receiver, you know, he'll be one of the two slot receivers who plays in – uh, for receiver sets, uh, he's got really good size at about 6'1", 205, 210, really good speed, good feel for the game because of his quarterback background. Um, I think he's going to be a real weapon for them from that slot position. And a couple other guys to keep an eye on, uh, names to remember, Brian Castile, who mm-hmm. missed all of last season because of injury. Oh, yeah. Um, he's back, and he'll, he'll be uh, one of the slot receivers. And then another local kid, uh, Drew Dixon, who also played quarterback in high school. Um, he's really good size, about 6'3", uh, around 210. He's going to play that uh, Sean Poindexter position um, out on the perimeter and just try to use his big body to his advantage. All right, one last question for you, Michael, before we go. In your opinion, yeah. loaded Pac-12 North this year, but who is going to win the Pac-12 overall? Oh, my gosh. I'm on an Oregon podcast. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not looking for an Oregon <laughs> answer. I'm not. That's okay. <laughs> I pick Washington. Here's my yeah. here's my take on the North. Um, I think that today, Oregon is the best team in the North. On paper, um, they've got um, returning the entire offensive line, returning starting quarterback, great running back, um, you know, several returning starters on defense. Um, if, they, if they played today on a neutral field, I think that Oregon would beat Washington. But I, I have a lot of faith, maybe more faith, in the Washington coaching staff. Okay. Um, and I feel like by the time that they match up during the season and that game also being in Seattle, um, that Washington is going to have the edge and that's going to be the difference in the conference race. I think I had both of them uh, finishing seven and two um, 
in the league and the head-to-head tiebreaker goes to the Huskies. So that's it. Now, that being said, I feel like there's more volatility to Washington because we really don't know what the quarter, how the quarterback situation is going to shake out. And they're also replacing almost their entire defense. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot more variables there. Um, so I feel like maybe Washington's floor is a little bit lower than what Oregon's is, but I also think um, just because of what Chris Peterson has been able to do in the past, he's just going to, he's going to get him there when, yeah. when it comes to, you know, when it comes to the end of this thing. Seems like a lot of national prognosticators agree with you, Michael. It's a smart take. All right. Wave at him as he goes, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. It's Michael Levy covers Arizona football and baseball for the daily star. Really appreciate you dropping some knowledge, man. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, that's going to do it for episode 14 of the weekly Webfoot Review. We have got two more schools to preview before the start of the college football season. That is going to be Arizona State and your lovely rivals here in the state of Oregon. If you're Oregon fans anyways, the Oregon State Beavers. We're going to be talking with Michelle Gardner and John Warren on the program next time around. So make sure you stay tuned. Oregon and Auburn just days away from starting their season. And I am so excited to watch number 11, Oregon, hopefully kick their way off to an undefeated season in 2019. This has been the Weekly Web Foot Review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. I'm Jordan Schultz, and I'll talk to you soon. Go Ducks! The Weekly Web Foot Review, the podcast.